0: Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and you can find us on Facebook at the wonderful world of wine. Hi there, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim and Mark, and today we're going to be talking about a number of topics that hopefully will be of interest to you. And the first one is the topic of being able or not being able to use coupons for wine in the state of Massachusetts
1: yes Kim yes. <laughs> how are you sorry I'm well how I are you <laughs> sorry yes this is I wanted to get your opinion on this Kim because as a retailer this specific article was talking about how consumers want coupons but there's retailers that are big retailers that are pushing it and consumers want it, but little retailers don't want it. So I wanted to give you some of the percentages here that they gave. 87% of consumers say they want to use a coupon when they buy wine.
0: Well, this sort of makes sense to me because consumers are so used to being able to use coupons for everything else that when you get into products like wine that contain alcohol, there are more significant rules attached to, the sale of these items, so it wasn't really anything that I had thought too much about, but it was
1: interesting to read about. Yeah, so listeners are probably saying, "Yeah, I haven't seen a coupon yeah, for like, a wine." Yeah, like scratch and your head, like, so "Oh, that's right." There There is a law in Massachusetts that over-the-counter coupons are not allowed. So not only coupons, but loyalty programs where one customer gets something that another customer doesn't have the ability to. So you can't have like a frequent buyer card that you would get the wine at a price because you have it that that I don't. So there are apps out there that and mail-in rebates that people do. Have you seen those, Kim, as far as mail-ins? Have you done that? I know I've seen
0: on certain bottles of of wine sometimes there's a little neck hanger says if you buy a certain number of these bottles then i guess it doesn't say that you get it at a certain price though does it it's more is it a rebate that you have to send in
1: mail-in rebates is the only thing that is allowed so there are some states like florida you can go in if there's a there's a five dollar off on it you can take it and use it at the register and mask you have to mail it in so you have to keep your receipt mail it in and interesting kim is that the suppliers for wine they actually budget a certain percent of what they think they're going to get back on a on a mail-in rebate what what would you say you you think that percent is hmm.
0: i wouldn't think it would be very high it, that seems like a lot of work for the customer to go through in order to get a rebate so i don't know maybe five percent
1: yeah you're good kim oh, because they awesome. they actually the percentage people mail in is very low so if they get anywhere over 10% it could actually wipe out their their budget it's wow. bad news so people when you see these things and it's it's very rare that you see them but most of the time it's either maybe on a 12 pack of beer or you'll see a case discount on on a bottle of wine and you'll see MIR mail-in rebate on the final price so you have to you know be careful and there's a lot of times there's coupons where they're only valid in certain states and Mm -hmm. there's a lot to it so and I guess uh,
0: I've only seen it for like really big brands like Yellowtail or Behringer or some of those and I know that in the old store that I used to work in we didn't really have them on the bottles, but we had like this little section behind the registers as customers were leaving that had, it was like a bulletin board and we yeah. had things tacked up there. And I feel like that's the only place that I've really seen them.
1: Yeah, it's very, it's it's rare oh. in Massachusetts. So that's why there is a push by bigger stores that say, we want it. We want to bring this in. And then there's a, a group of retailers. They say there's like 3,000 independent retailers, uh, liquor retailers in the state that employ like 100,000 and 000- employees. So they're saying if that is done, it impacts the retailers, the smaller retailers. Mostly on these incentive programs. So the big box stores could say, "Kim, you buy a case of barefoot and I'm going to give you a, a, a raffle ticket to, for a car." Something like that where hmm. there's a big incentive. So it puts them at a different advantage which the state regulates. So a lot of people don't agree with it and I, and as a retailer I'm kind of biased, but it's out there. But there are other things I was saying earlier to you, Kim, there's an app it's called iBoda. I don't know if you've seen this. No. But instead of mailing in the rebate, you have an app. You scan the UPC code on the product and it'll give you $2 off a bottle and you get a credit. And then you can cash out. So if people don't are not aware of that, that is a quicker way to do rebates on wine. So
0: where do you cash it out? At the store when you, you have
1: an No, you have an account and you put in whatever your bank account. And then it reaches a certain level. You get to like 25 bucks. It puts it in your account. Oh, wow. Okay. So huh. it does work very well. You need to just scan the barcode on your product scan your receipt and it gives you credit hmm. and there's a lot of companies that do it most of the bigger brands do it but it's worth it instead of mailing in
0: mm-hmm. so you do suggest that this is something that consumers if they see it and it's a wine that they want to purchase that they take advantage of this
1: oh yeah definitely the the app is great i think rebates are great and I, and i like you said earlier the percentage is so low people don't take advantage of it but you're not seeing small wineries say you know i'll give you ten dollars off a case or something something. something like that it's the big brands and they're putting that rebate into their marketing budget Mm -hmm.
0: and like we talk uh, an awful lot about these big brands that own big conglomerations of companies that own a lot of these smaller labels there could be some hidden values in there
1: it is strange though isn't it that coupons it's not a lot it's not like you're trying to think is it because they don't want people to consume at a lower rate i don't know why the law was there was it something to do with prohibition or i don't know yeah you know it
0: could be a, a state thing where they they feel like if they have too many incentives for people to buy wine that they're encouraging abuse of alcohol and I, I think that that's behind a lot of of the reasoning behind why we don't see coupons and we don't see rebates and we don't see promotions and and things like that you know that the state feels a little wary of promoting something that then could be turned into abuse but who knows
1: Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. If you'd like more information about our show, please go to Facebook and find The Wonderful World of Wine. Next, we want to talk about an article that was in Wine Enthusiast Magazine about Vino Verde wine. Now, Kim, Vino Verde is a... A region and a wine type. So let's talk to our listeners about this interesting Portuguese wine.
0: Right. So this is one of those cases where I feel like the wine labeling can be a little confusing for customers. And I've seen this confusion for years. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that the predominant style of this wine is a light, easy to drink, pretty bright, young, fresh, white wine. So a lot of people think that the verde in vino verde is referred to sort of the greenness of it being young. But it really has more to do with the area of Portugal where this wine is produced. So these are wines from uh, the northern part of Portugal and the wine name itself is Vino Verde. Some people pronounce it Vino Verde. Uh, And there are white versions and rosé versions and also red versions. We don't see too many bottles of the red type of Vino Verde here in the States, but they're starting to be a little bit more of the pink stuff. And most people are familiar with it as a white wine. And what's pretty cool about this wine is that not only is it light and fresh and refreshing, but it usually has a little bit of a sparkle to it, which makes it stand out a little bit differently from other white wines in this category.
1: Yes, fizzy, slight fizzy Slightly wine. Slightly fizzy,
0: not as fizzy as a Moscato. Usually, it's just got like just a little kind of tickle your palate, kind of a spritz to it. But it's it's good stuff.
1: It's in low cost too. You can find this, you know, ten dollars and and up. It's, it's a good value in Portuguese wine. And refresh my memory, Kim. Verde is that translated to meaning green? it is, is translated it
0: is? Okay. into meaning green but they mean more that the the area is like the the countryside is very green in color so it's not referring to the youngness of the wine the youth of the wine I guess you could say as a lot of consumers do associate this verde as oh oh young like young green fresh kind of sort of but it's more that the area of Portugal that it comes from is very lush and very green and very like rolling hillsides kind of a place and the
1: region is located northwest corner of, of- of Portugal, mm-hmm. and it has a lot of sub-regions, but Vino Verde white blend is actually a blend of around seven different white grapes. And one of the more popular grapes is uh, Alvarino, which is Alvarino in Spain. Mm-hmm. And what's the other, the, uh, other popular? Oranta, uh, um, I Arento?
0: believe Arinto is the other grape that you usually find in this blend. And what's, what I think is helpful to consumers for this style of wine is that you don't really have to know what those grape varieties are in there. So the way that Portuguese Gise wines are labeled is very much in a similar vein to how what you see out of Spain, what you see out of France. They tend to be named after the region that they come from. So in this case, Vino Verde, any vino verde that you see that is white, is generally going to be of a similar style to the other ones. And you have really less of a reliance on what is the blend of the grapes in this. If you go in and you don't necessarily know what an Arinto grape is or an Alvarino is or some of the other ones that are in here. A Veso and Lorero, You know, there's all these grape varieties that people are probably scratching their heads and be like, I've never, ever heard of that grape before. It's okay if you've never heard of that grape before because you're going to be buying it by the name Vino Verde. So you don't really need to worry about what the grapes are that are in there.
1: Yeah. And these are indigenous grapes too. So mm-hmm. very unique, except for the, the Alvarino, which is right over the border in Spain. Right, just So you see both. Different.
0: You see the, this grape variety in Spain and in Portugal. And some of these do make sort of blending appearances in Spain as well. But overall, these are native, like you said, Mark, uh, indigenous grapes to Portugal. And because so many Portuguese wines are labeled after the regions, you don't tend to see too many of these names on labels.
1: So tell me, Kim, what you what's your feelings on white vino verde wines? I see very little consumer reaction to them. I see a lot of restaurants jumping on the bandwagon. A few few years back, a rose style of this was very popular for mm-hmm. me. But what do you think? What do you overall think for our listeners? What's the style?
0: I th- I think that it's a, a style of wine and a type of wine that is ready for kind of a reemergence. I would say probably five years ago, 10 years ago, there was a lot of interest in the less expensive versions of, of this wine. And there were a couple of big brands on the market that would se- that would, they would sell for like six, seven, eight dollars a bottle. So very inexpensive, but still pretty decent quality and a great summer wine you know something that's refreshing and is clean and now we're starting to see some slightly better slightly higher end versions uh, where the the winemakers I think are paying a little bit more attention to the quality of the grapes and trying to make a little bit more of a distinctive style. So I think that these are we're ready to see some some better ones on the market and that it's a very appealing style of white wine for a lot of people.
1: I'm glad you mentioned clean because I feel over the years, the style I, they may be playing with the blend a little bit more to make it a more fruity more of a, like a tropical clean fruit mm-hmm. than years ago to me it was a little bit of i don't want to say mineral but maybe a little bit of like vegetal or something going on yeah.
0: and i think that that does come from a, a little bit of a change in the mix of the grape varieties so albarino does have a lot of those sort of floral peachy very aromatic kind of qualities to it so if they are if winemakers are upping the percentage of that grape variety in this blend then you're going to get a more a more aromatic type of wine that smells really pretty and has a lot of kind of riper fruit to it
1: yeah great just easy sitting outside easy drinking wine Mm -hmm. chill it enjoy it
0: You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We're your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi. You can find out more about myself at my website, vinitaswineworks.com. And you can find out more about Mark at franklinliquors.com. Interesting article we ran across that I'm sure people have run across from time to time. The question of, should you drink alcohol while you are taking antibiotics? And this, I thought, was somewhat fascinating because the author kind of went back and forth talking about myths about While you are taking medications, and then a little bit more of a liberal view of well, you know, one glass isn't going to kill you. So I thought it was, you know, they kind of tried to play devil's advocate a little bit and uh, and go back and forth. So this was from Business Insider, which uh, often does a lot of topics related to wine and alcohol in general. What was your take on uh, on some of their points in this one, Mark?
1: Exactly what you just said, Kim. Because at first it was like these, are, it's a myth that you can't drink and be on antibiotics, but but the first thing it start out with, you know, is one glass won't kill you. If you <laughs> right. have a glass of wine and you're on antibiotics, it won't kill you. But what does that mean? Is it good? Is it okay? Or, right. I so, thought it was
0: interesting that some of the myths were, it almost was like uh, trying to make sure that people just didn't drink in general. Not that there was anything necessarily wrong with drinking while taking medication, but as a, a kind of a scare tactic to keep people from drinking in the first place.
1: Yeah. And there was a, a lot of background as far as this was big in the 50s. So uh, where antibiotics just released in the fifties, I would think it was before that. But it
0: was twentieth century though.
1: It, so it said in the fifties they had this big thing, you know, don't don't drink and with your antibiotics. But they also had a little thing. I don't know if you saw it, Kim. It says you shouldn't have sex and and drink <laughs> right. either on antibiotics. So I don't know. People probably think, whoa, you know. But let's go on to some of the other stuff. It will make you more. It said tired, nauseous, dizzy, and give you an upset stomach. So right away, that's saying I wouldn't think that's a myth. I mean, this will happen. Right? Is the antibiotics if do you this?
0: drink too much. Yeah. So, you know, your antibiotics might be messing with your stomach because they are changing the, the gut bacteria of your of your system. So if you already know that you're taking medication that is maybe going to lead to a little bit of an upset stomach, then maybe you don't want to add alcohol in there too. I was also thinking along the lines of when you're taking antibiotics and you are sort of changing that microbiome of your, your digestive tract, that it might make you more susceptible to having alcohol enter your bloodstream quicker. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I just thought it was an interesting sort of head-scratching moment of, well, if there's other things going on in your insides when you're taking these sorts of medications, then maybe you do want to stay away from alcohol because it might be entering your system a little faster and then you don't necessarily know how you're going to react to it. See, we're on the same page on some
1: things. Then you go totally (laughs) scientific. So I was thinking, first off, when I'm on antibiotics, do I drink wine? Do I want to drink wine? I was trying to think of,
0: If you're feeling sick anyway, do you want to drink? Right. But then I'm thinking like, all right, so say you're sick enough to need to be on antibiotics. I don't know what you might have, but something that requires you to have some, you know, some sort of medication. Hopefully that's going to kick in in a day or two, but you might still need to take that medication for a week or if you have Lyme disease, you're on that stuff for a month. So, I mean, after five days, you might be feeling better. Does that mean that you can't have wine later on when you're feel already feeling better? So yeah, I don't know. Most this... of the
1: time it's uh, so many days, right? right? You have to take it. So, yeah, but I, I'm thinking I can't. I mean, I love wine, but I would think if I'm on an antibiotic, I want that antibiotic, nothing to fight it. So I wouldn't, you know, And you're thinking, what's, why, you know, the scientific, I'm just thinking, did I ever? Right. uh, Do I feel, do I
0: even feel like it? And that was a lot of what they talked about in this article is that when you do have alcohol in your system, that it may slow your healing and that it may not necessarily interact with the medication that you're taking, but it might kind of lower your immunity anyway, especially if you're a regular drinker. So maybe be on uh, on the safe side and just take a break from it while you let your uh, your medications and your rest do what it needs to do
1: inside your body. Yeah, I'm sure it can cause reactions. It, and they and do an talk entire, about
0: specific. It does say a, that antibiotics. on the little jar,
1: right? Don't right. Take, Don't take this with, with something alcohol. Or, now I was thinking also, Kim. They they have vitamin water, right? What about <laughs> antibiotic wine? And you? Oh you no! Know, huh? <laughs> you get the, the antibiotics plus a, it's a mixture. We have mm. all these. You never like my inventions. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that one would sell. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are Mark and Kim. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. If you'd like to get past episodes of our show, please go to iTunes or SoundCloud and search The Wonderful World of Wine. Next, Kim, we want to talk about an article that was in the Chicago Tribune about food and wine texture and tasting. So many times we talk about aromas and flavors of wine but maybe we don't focus enough on the texture of the wine.
0: I love this article cuz this is something that I try to emphasize when I'm talking about wine tasting with people is that it's not just the aromas and it's not just the does it taste sweet, does it taste bitter, does it taste sour, but wine gives you all of these other textures in your mouth. And so you talk about tannins, we talk about how does it feel and we talk about the acidity, we talk about how does it feel talk about how long does the length last what is the finish all about is it pleasant is it unpleasant and i this is you know really a philosophy that i use and that i take into account when when i do my tasting so this really aligns with the way that i like to think about
1: wine Yeah, and you hit a lot of things there kim that we we interchange kind of terms i think it's Mm -hmm. texture it's mouthfeel it's body
0: and i think because there's no like universal way different people who talk about wine use different terms and I think that can be confusing for consumers, but it's also, you know, sometimes a little bit confusing for us because you can talk about texture and you can talk about flavor. But when you talk, what's what's sugar? Is sugar a flavor? Is sugar a texture? There's no like universal approach to this. So we are all sort of not making it up as we go along. But each person who either sells wine or talks about wine or educates about wine, we kind of all have our, have our own take on it.
1: And I think they all add up to something that's going on in your mouth that we're trying to find better better ways to describe Mm -hmm. to people and if for me it's like if i'm telling someone oh this this wine has it's bitter but has great body and people you can kind of tell if people are not following what you're saying so you have to find other ways to describe it we use for body we use our milk analogy for weights and stuff like that Um, so it's difficult and one of the things they mentioned i think in this article was it's common that someone says the texture or the wine is smooth
0: right as a positive, and I know you'd like to joke that universally, if you need to describe a white wine, you say it's appley, and if you need to describe a red wine, you say it tastes like cherry. Well, I think the universal positive texture of a wine would be people describing it as
1: smooth. So you don't think if you say smooth, people understand what that means? Because that's what they were saying this this go. What does that mean? Yeah, if I, say I it's don't smooth. think so. I mean, it could be horrible tasting. I think it's sort it's of a default
0: and- positive texture word when you don't really know how to describe it, but you you know that it's pleasant to you in the way that it feels in your mouth you tend to say that it's smooth And i think we're talking more about red wines or like oaky chardonnays like you would never just des- i don't think i would ever describe like a-, a steely sauvignon blanc as smooth
1: yeah i mean i sometimes like i i think i might interchange it with balance smoothness hmm. it, I, it's a tough term it's a tough term but one of the things when we teach we always talk about what are you tasting what are you smelling and there's a wheel and we recently came across a mouth texture wheel Kim and I thought it was interesting because they, they would say okay what are you what texture are you are you determining here and it'll say like I'm determined acidity and then it'll say well what type of acidity is it metallic is it steely is it sour is it soapy so it gives you another level a more geekiness to texture now what were your thoughts on the on the texture wheel
0: I think this is really helpful because again just like flavors and aromas you can be experiencing something but not really know how to put that into words. Like coming up with the terms to describe your wine experience takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. And even for folks like ourselves who've been doing it for a very long time, sometimes you still need a little bit of kind of inspiration or a little bit of a push to be able to to describe it well. And I had never seen anything like this where it put into terms of descriptions more of these feelings in in your mouth, these textural feelings as opposed to flavors. So I, I actually think that this is really handy and I think I'm going to add to it and, and use it and it'll help me describe wines a little bit better. And I loved the whole section where they're really talking about tannins and it's like half the wheel is talking about tannins and they put it under the category of astringency, which because tannins have this sort of bitterness to them, it leads to a bit of an astringent feeling and flavor, but that can also be a positive. So it goes all the way from like a harsh kind of harshness where they're talking, the words they use are hard and aggressive and abrasive, and then to things that are on the other side where it's velvety and smooth and chalky and dusty. So there's all of these different words. And you might find the word, I don't know, grippy and chewy, which I see as not necessarily the what you're looking for. And then somebody else could be like, oh yeah, I really like that texture. So being able to describe these tannins and you know to a lesser extent the acidity with a bunch of words that then you can hopefully compare them to how how other people are experiencing them, I, I think can only be helpful.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's more definitions of to give people to kind of give them a gist of what, what are we saying, right? right? I mean, something on this wheel has to hit <laughs> what we're saying about texture, right? What, now, you're being the foodie, Kim, is there a relation between texture of food and and the texture of wine, like are there terms used for food, do you feel that is the same in wine? I mean, I'm not saying that my food is smooth, but food does have texture, yeah. but I mean, there's heavy foods, there's light foods, right. so that is similar. But- and
0: certainly the idea of balance, I think needs to be there when you're talking about sauces, spices, I think because more of it has to do with those balancing of sour and salty. You're not looking for too much bitterness in your food, I don't think, but kind of thinking about having everything kind of playing well together and not having it be you know too salty or too sour but then that light heavy thing and and because I talk about this so much with wine pairings you know lighter foods with lighter wines heavier foods with heavier wines things like fat come into play and that's very important so I think there are different categories that are complementary between wine and food but that they're not necessarily like we can't really transfer the language of wine taste necessarily to the language of food tasting.
1: So here's where I want to go with this. And I totally understand that. We always, I don't want to say disagree, but we always have different views on food and wine pairings, correct? Mm -hmm. All right. So we can pair food and wine based on weights of the food and wine. We can pair it based on the profiles. Flavor profiles. Flavor profiles. Have you ever seen a pairing based on texture profiles? Yes. You have? Well, sure. So an example would be...
0: Sparkling wine and something fried. Texture. That's That's texture related.
1: but do they because have you have you run it or have it seen worded that way this is a pairing based on texture
0: I don't think I have but I think for when I do some of these pairings not to say it's just intuitive but I'm using those rules and I'm putting them into play and the rule being okay sparkling wine is high acid there's a texture to the bubble which is carbon dioxide bubble so it's it's doing something in your mouth and what it's doing is complementing the fatty of the fried food. So you're doing with that what you're doing with red wine and steak so you're you're doing a wine that interacts with fat and makes the whole dish feel more balanced inside your mouth
1: now usually do you explain it as a texture way or you explain it more as the i wouldn't weight?
0: explain it as a flavor and not necessarily weight that that is an example that i feel really does come down to texture yeah
1: oh, i'm glad i'm, I'm see glad i had an so. example for you yeah no i'm glad <laughs> because i but i feel we it's not explained as a texture right. pairing so but I, it's I, the
0: same I, thing with like creamy cheese and dry steely white wine it's the same exact thing so like light white wine actually I kind of like chardonnay and brie you know they're both the creaminess and creamy yeah. so it's the so creaminess me, so you the have texture. the acid of the wine and the creaminess of the cheese and you put them together and you have something that's greater than the sum of its part
1: yeah that's, that's excellent. Exa- yeah. yeah excellent example so
0: i'm going to keep on working on some ideas for a texture pairing between food and wine because i do find that pretty fascinating
1: Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. Please follow us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers.